Good morning, everybody. How you doing this morning? Good. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, won't you look at your neighbor and say good morning? You're looking good this morning. Just welcome them. If they're a mom, say happy Mother's Day. Hallelujah. This 11 o'clock crowd, I'm telling you, you guys are low-key. Them, them 9 o'clock, they come in here all fired up. You guys come in here, you're just real low-key and gentle and docile. I like that about you guys. So listen, the, the, we, had a little, we had a little breakfast. Can we thank our hospitality team just for putting that breakfast together for our mothers this morning? Uh, but we had some folks sign up. They wanted to let, me, let you know uh, the winners of some flower uh, arrangements out there are Deborah Bray, Sabrina Hacker, and Kaylin Couch. So after service... You can pick those up if you would like. Hallelujah, you won you some flowers. Isn't that a blessing here at church this morning? Well, once again, we just want to thank you guys for being here this morning. We're, we're continuing a sermon series in 1 Peter, so we'll go ahead and jump right into that. If you have your Bibles and you just want to follow along on the screen, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read beginning at verse 22, and the title of my message this morning is A Healthy Diet in a Sick World. A healthy diet in a sick world. So let's, let's begin right here in verse 22, 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you this morning for your presence in our lives. God, we thank you for our mothers this morning. We got so many wonderful mothers, so many blessed children, God, that have a caring and nurturing and godly mother. And so we thank you for that, and we thank you for our families this morning. And this morning, God, I pray a blessing over each family. Lord God, that you would keep them strong, that you'd keep them healthy, that your spirit would abide in their lives. And, and Lord, that you'd strengthen our moms to continue to do the hard work that they do to raise godly children who are loved and cared for. And Lord, we just pray that as we open your word over these next few minutes, that you would come in a mighty way by the power of your spirit, that you'd bring life to this word, that you'd give us ears to hear it and receive it, and that somehow, some way, Lord, you would transform us by this word today. God, so that we can leave differently than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've started this uh, sermon series in the book of 1 Peter. We talked a little bit about Peter the last couple of weeks and, and who he was writing to. He was writing to Christians that were basically scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And if you remember specifically, he called them exiles. He called them exiles because he was basically saying, look, you're not, you're not just immigrants. You're not coming in and trying to adopt the culture. And he says, but you're also not citizens of this country. He says, you come from another world, from another place, from another kingdom. And you are aliens living alongside of this, these people. But this world shouldn't seem like your home because it's not your home. And honestly, when you're living in it, there's going to be a little bit of attention because your value system and this world's value system is completely different. And you are here 
chosen by God, and even though you experience difficulty, maybe even persecution, maybe even some of you are being put to death, you need to understand that you've been chosen by God to live as exiles in this land so that you can change the world around you and point people to a coming kingdom whenever Jesus Christ returns and establishes His kingdom here on earth. But one of the things that he says in the beginning here is he's saying, look, you've been born again by the imperishable seed of the Word of God. And Jesus even said that one of the ways that this world is going to know that you're his disciples is the love that we have for one another. Because we live in a sick world, right? We live in a world that is full of division, it's full of hate, it's full of anger and malice. And even within the church, sometimes you see those things bleeding in. And he's saying one of the indicators that's going to mark you as different from this world is the fact that you have sincere love for one another. But this world is going to try to challenge that love and it's going to be difficult for you to live a holy life that demonstrates God's love in it. Now, I, I was looking at something this week, and I know it's a little bit weird. I was looking at a map of Jerusalem, because I guess, I, I don't know, I guess it's what I do for fun, you know, in my spare time, as I look at maps of Jerusalem and, and Israel. So I was looking at this map, though, and I, and I saw this, because one of the things that we need to understand as Christians, I think, is that we are channels for God's power and God's blessing. The problem with a lot of Christians is we have, we have some inflow, but we have very little outflow. We come and we hear maybe a sermon or, or, or we allow somebody to pray for us, but we don't allow that to flow out of us to anybody else. We realize that we're the loved ones of God and we receive God's love and maybe in worship God ministers to us, but we don't have any outflow. For others of us, we have some inflow, but the inflow just ain't that good. Throughout the week, maybe we hear one good sermon, maybe we read our Bible once, but man, we're on social media, we're watching the news, and we are ingesting all kinds of things on Netflix, which are pretty terrible as far as what's happening with our inflow. So obviously, what happens is we get some garbage in, and we put some garbage out. Now, if you look at a map of Israel, there's two seas that I was looking at, and this, this, this kind of spoke to me this week. When we talk about the love of God, being loved by God, and then being able to love the world through that. But see, you have two major seas in the land of Israel. You have the Sea of Galilee, and you have the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee was where all them guys fished. Peter would have fished at the Sea of Galilee, and there, it was teeming with life. All kinds of different species, all kinds of different fish, because there's an inflow of the Jordan River from the north, and it flows out from the south. So it has a fresh flow of water going through it at all times, circulating through it, causing the life just to be abundant within that sea. Now, the Jordan River flows down south into the Dead Sea, and in the Dead Sea, there is absolutely zero life whatsoever. There is no plant life around the Dead Sea. There's no animal life within the Dead Sea. And the salt deposit is so high in the Dead Sea that you can literally lay in the water and float like a sensory deprivation tank because it will not allow anything to live. The point being is that the Dead Sea accumulates all that salt because there's tons of constant inflow, but there is no outflow. In the same way you as a follower of Jesus, we are called to receive from God and have an inflow. But see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come to indwell you. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. But then He begins to come upon you because He desires to flow through you to others. It's one thing for the Holy Spirit to be in you. It's another thing for you to be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit so God's love and blessing can flow through you to somebody else. 
Amen. So we don't want to be the Dead Sea. We want to be a sea that is not just a reservoir where we receive deposits on Sunday, but we are a channel through which God is constantly ministering to us, and out of that overflow, we are ministering to others, and it's flowing through us, and the world is impacted by the life that we live. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, boys, you live in a pretty rough world, and honestly, it gets... How many of you ever struggle loving people? Amen. Somebody in here is like, hey, that's me, that's me. I, I struggle. If some people get on my nerves, aggravate to fire me, I just like slap their brains out. And he's saying, you don't need to be that in this world. You need to be the kind of person that has different character and lives differently because you're not going to be in, a, in an environment oftentimes that promotes sincere love. Amen. You're not going to be in it. Most of y'all's workplaces, they're, not they're, they're promoting production. They're not necessarily promoting, hey, sincere love for one another. You know what I'm saying? That ain't what they come and that's like at the top rule of the list. But Peter's saying this is what you need to have, sincere love for one another. But really, this often comes down to our diet. And, and, and Peter uses the language of diet over and over again. He talks about a baby craving the sincere, the pure spiritual milk of the Word. And he talks about the Word of God being our diet. But then he lists specifically that in our world, sometimes we get an unhealthy diet and we consume some things that aren't very good for us. Now, how many of you went through a season where you just ate some garbage? Anybody? Somebody said, you know, that's me right now. I'm still doing that, Clay. Uh, you know, I, I told them this morning that, that I, believe it or not, I've been blessed with a high metabolism because I've went through some seasons where I've ate some solid junk. And loads of it. You know what I mean? And just, I know you're mad at me, but I, I, the Lord just blessed me with a high metabolism. But don't worry, it's slowing down. I'm getting some deposits back here right now. So, I mean, everything's slowing down. But there was a time in my life, and when I was in high school, I used to eat breakfast, and then I'd eat like two or three trays at lunch at Clay County High School, and then I'd drive out, and I'd leave, and I'd go to McDonald's just about every day, and here's what I'd get. I'd get a number one Big Mac with a Biggie Fry and a Biggie Coke. But that ain't all I'd get. I'd also get two plain double cheeseburgers and a 10-piece nugget with buffalo sauce and ranch, and then I'd also get a McFlurry on top of that because I need something sweet to wash it down with, and then I'd go play baseball or something like that. Now, i, I got to be honest with you. See, during that time, not only that, during that time in my life, not only was I eating like that, but I was going to the bootlegger and getting me a 12-pack of Budweiser and some Heaven Hill. So let me, if you eat that and you live like that, you are on the verge of death, my friend. I mean, my mama was worried about me. You know what I'm talking about? You talk about a Mother's Day. What a blessed woman. She knew that I was... A matter of fact, I told them I went to the doctor one time, and, they, and, it, and it was totally unrelated, but they said, we need to do, get some blood work done to check out your liver. Well, she broke down crying because she thought, I knew it, you was going to destroy your liver. Because the, because the fact of the matter is, is that if you go to a good doctor, right, they can look at your diet and determine and, and predict illness in your life. If you smoke too much, you're going to blow your lungs out. If you drink too much, it's going to affect your liver. If you eat too much fat and too much sugar, eventually your heart is going to pay the price. You're going to be tired. You're going to get sick more easily. You're going to be more susceptible to disease and to cancers and things like that. They can tell that by the diet. Now, my point being is this, is what Peter is saying is the same way that you can tell a lot about a person's life by what they intake physically. You can tell a lot about a person's life mentally, emotionally, and especially spiritually by what they intake in that area as well. What is your spiritual diet? What are you feasting on? What are you consuming? This is what he's talking about. And if you realize this, you know, most people do know. I, I honestly, I try to eat a decent diet, but I'm getting on a physical level. And I notice that when I eat better, I feel a little bit better. That's just, that's just the way that it is, and I notice that. 
I notice if I eat like a patch cheeseburger midday at noon, I'm about ready for a nap. Anybody amen me? Like it puts me down. So I choose to, and I'm not talking about diet here, but I'm trying to make a point about spiritually because Peter is talking about nutrition for your whole life. They say over and over again in the New Testament, you need sound teaching or sound doctrine. If you read the Greek word there for it, it's literally healthy teaching. He's saying that you become a product spiritually of what you are ingesting, whether or not you have healthy teaching or you have bad teaching. And so the same way that you would look at a little child and you see a child that's malnourished, that doesn't have enough food, they're, they're all skin and bones and they've not had a lot to eat, like compassionately you say, man, we need to get this, some nutrition in this kid. We need to get some nutrition. And in the same way spiritually, when we see a bunch of Christians that are bitter, angry, depressed, unforgiving, malicious, unable to unburden themselves, constantly under the weight of this world, what we should have is compassion and say, man, we need to get some nutrition in you because Jesus doesn't want you living like that. What is your diet currently? What are you eating? What are you feasting on? This is what Peter's saying. Because we live in a world physically, let me tell you something, physically, the same way our world just pushes junk food on everything, is the same way that spiritually our world pushes junk food on everything. Just eat trash as quick as you can. Get as much trash as quick as you can in you as much as you can. That's America, y'all. And so, and, and so we have to be very intentional. It's hard work eating healthy. You've got to pay more for it. Like it, it takes intentionality both on a physical scale and a spiritual scale. I'm trying to help y'all holistically this morning. Amen. We're going to get y'all fit and ready for summer. Gonna be bathing suit time, you know what I'm saying? But the problem is we have a sick diet, and here's what he says. More than ever, we need one another, one another's love and care. You agree with that? I don't know how many of y'all, you get discouraged during the week. You go through a hard time. A lot of people are negative. A lot of people tear you down. You get around people, that just you start to feel bad. And we need brothers and sisters who love us passionately that will pray for us and encourage us and speak life into us and that's what he's saying you need sincere love for the brethren to be able to get through this life we're sending off uh, Beto Oliveira. He's, he's going down to Florida. He was a member of our church here for a while. He came up and ate with me the other night, and I was just sort of sharing with him some of his burdens because, believe it or not, I'm a human being, and I've got some struggles. Y'all, anybody amen me out there? Like, I, I get down. I get depressed sometimes. I've got anxiety. I've got fears. I've got worries. And so I'm a, I don't get a lot of people to unload on. So when I find an opportunity and I, and I trust somebody and I've got a friend, sometimes I'll unload on them. And so I just unload this stuff. And, and usually a lot of times what I find is, like, people – on the other side from me are kind of like they're just weirded out by the fact that the pastor's sort of like sharing some struggles they don't know how to handle it but you know what he did he turned to me he spoke into my life man with such boldness he laid hands on me and he prayed for me and I felt fresh water coming over my soul because I knew in that moment this man loves me he cares about me he cares about my soul and it wasn't a pastor speaking to a parishioner it was two brothers who love one another in a conversation encouraging one another because we knew we needed one another and so, and so he's saying, Peter's saying, y'all need this if you're going to be able to get through because we're eating a healthy diet and the television and the social media and everything else that you're consuming, what you're eating are basically something different. And he says, you need to put these things out of your diet. And he gives you a specific list in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. These are like the Twinkies of the spiritual diet. Amen. These are like the cigarettes and the Twinkies and, and uh, 
and, and all of that stuff of the spiritual diet. These five destroy relationships. They destroy families. They destroy church families. And he says, number one, he says, you need to put away malice. Now, what is malice? Malice is basically, I actually wish... Now, now here's the thing. Nobody does this openly much of the time. Especially if, if you're a Christian, you are really good at sort of masking your internal malice. Amen, right? Yeah, not me, Brother Clay. I love with a sincere heart fervently. No, no, no. Underneath, you know, because somehow underneath what happens is when somebody does well, you get aggravated. You won't, now, you may not express it, but internally you're aggravated because deep down at the core of your being, you wish ill on that person. He says, and, 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 and when, when, when somebody is not doing well, well, you get a little bit excited. I knew that's coming to them. I know them people. I know what they're made of. You know, and that malice, that ill will is in your heart toward that person. He says, if this is in your diet, if this is in your heart, it is going to eat you up. It is going to destroy you. He says, secondly, is deceit. And this is when you're not totally true. There's deception. There's dishonesty. There's skewing of the facts. And there's some ulterior motives. Sometimes you will sow discord among brethren. And sometimes you, you, you will deceive people and not be forthright about what you're currently going through. See, the Scripture actually says to not be dishonest and hide the truth about things, but to be straight up, be truthful, confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Yeah. Now, if you've got deceit in your heart, you've got malice in your heart, oftentimes what you'll do, if you're talking about a person, if you've got malice in your heart or deceit in your heart, you will present that person as on their worst day. Right? Yeah. Somebody asks you about a person, well, I'll tell you what I know. Yeah. So and so, and you think of all the worst things you know about them. But a loving person thinks of all the best things they know about them. They sow hope into the heart about a person. They sow positivity into the heart about a person. Now, it's not like, look, look if, the, if, if the person is destructive and, and they're going to be a harmful person in, in, in this relationship, you've got to be truthful. You've got to be honest. But there's a difference between being honest and actually tearing another person down in order to build yourself up. You tearing somebody else down ain't going to lift you up another inch. Amen. Amen. But sometimes we feel like we need to do that. He says, thirdly, beyond deceit is hypocrisy. Now, there's seven, 27 different variations of the use of that word in the New Testament. But hypocrisy comes from a Greek word about, about actors in a play. So if they were in a play, you wouldn't just have one person acting. Basically, they didn't have a lot of actors. So one actor would play like five different roles. One actor would come out with a mask on, and then they would go back, and then the next scene they would come out with a different mask on. And then the next scene they would change into a different mask. And he's saying this is what happens to some people spiritually. He said they're around the church crowd, hallelujah, brother, praise the Lord. They're around their work crowd, gossiping, backbiting, tearing down. He said they go to another crowd with another group of people, totally different person. He says, you never know who you've got because they're a different person depending on what crowd they're in. He says they're never real and you never know who they actually are. Now here's the thing. There's a lot of people say, well, that's the reason I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. Well, like Donald Sims says all the time, you know, uh, there's a bunch of hypocrites up there at McDonald's, but I'll swing by and get me a Big Mac every now and then. Amen. Like, there's hypocrites. People are pretending, i got to tell you something, all over the place. There's pretenders everywhere. But there's a difference between somebody who is struggling spiritually to progress and grow and somebody who's pretending. Peter struggled, man. He had some major struggles. He denied Jesus three times, but he was not a hypocrite. 
He was not a hypocrite because he was honest about where he was at and who he was. And he said, these are the struggles that I've got, Jesus. I know, I'm sorry, I messed up. And he was repentant. There's a difference between struggling to grow spiritually but pretending. Peter's not a hypocrite. Judas is the hypocrite. Because Judas was the one who to your face was loyal. Who to your face had integrity. But behind the scenes he was a completely different person. Scheming and making, making little schematic decisions to try to strategize against Jesus behind his back. That's a hypocrite. Amen. He says you've got to get this out of your life. Fourthly is envy. This is jealousy and coveting. And the opposite of that really is, uh, is contentment. Now, anybody get all, anybody like scroll through social media just for hours at a time, Facebooking, commenting on posts, Instagram hitting it up, and get done with it, and when they're finished scrolling, they say, oh my gosh, like I feel refreshed. Has anybody ever done that? I just, I really want to know. I really, I re like I'm doing an experiment, social experiment. I want to know, oh my God, I feel so much better. Has anybody ever binged a Netflix show and got done and then binged another one the next day and then, and then got up the next morning and been like, man, why do I feel so good? <laughs> Nobody's ever done that. Hallelujah. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I know y'all ain't going to enjoy this this morning. We're just going to work through it. And, but here's the thing, envy, social media and stuff like that, it breeds envy in us. Envy is coveting and desiring what somebody else wants. Now I asked this morning, I said, I said what, what are some things that we envy? Jeremy said, somebody's high metabolism. <laughs> but we, we envy things like... We envy when, we envy, like I said to somebody the other day, you know, if I, I, my, my in-laws went on vacation, it, it threw me into a depression. And I mean, it, yeah, I miss them, but at the same time, I wanted to be on vacation. And you, you can watch, look on Instagram, well, they're on vacation with their beautiful children and making millions of dollars and building mansions, and look at my new car. And you're, and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, shut up. Because envy is in your heart, and it breeds covetousness, and it breeds discontentment, does it not? And you're constantly comparing yourself and your image and what they've got and what you don't got. And all of a sudden it begins to tear at your soul and eat at your soul. And he says it begins to affect you. Fifthly is slander. And the Greek word there is evil speaking. It's bad mouthing. It's backbiting. To attack someone's character to make them look bad. You can sow discord among brethren. But you know the scripture says all these things get in your heart. Honestly what ends up happening. We know that we're on a bad spiritual diet because of what comes out of our mouths. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What do you say about people on a regular basis? The Bible says, Ephesians 4.29, to let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. No word that tears down proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of building others up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. This is what God calls us to. And he says, in a world of exiles, you've got to live differently than the rest of the world that's living in malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy and putting a false image in front of the whole world. Be real, be you, be a Jesus follower and let life come out of your mouth. This is what he's saying. And he's saying the reason that it's not happening and malice and envy and hate and all of these things and discord and you being offended is coming. It's because of your diet. 
It's because of what you're eating spiritually on a regular basis. And the Word of God, he says, is the alternative for our nutrition. I need to be honest with you here. Like, as a pastor, like, I watch some TV myself. I love a good movie, son. Every now and then I get on Facebook and Instagram and I'll scroll a little bit myself. I'll comment on occasion. It's rare, but I'll do it, okay? Uh, 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 and so, so I'm just like anybody else in this stuff. But a lot of times I keep that stuff deleted because I have an awareness of what it does to my soul. Okay, sometimes I'll recognize when I get into too much of, of watching movies and TV, like I need to unplug from some of that stuff. Like, like it, it starts to contaminate me. But here's the thing. If all you're consuming is Facebook, Netflix, Hulu, Fox News, CNN, all day, every day, Netflix binging all day, every day, it's basically the equivalent of eating batteries and drinking a bottle of Lysol and wondering why you wake up feeling so bad. Amen, that's good preaching. It's true. And we, we, we've been addicted to these things by a culture and a society that's trying to reprogram us. And so, Peter ends up saying, he says, Since you've been born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, people are a product of their teaching. People are a product of the diet that they are receiving. And you start to see that happen in their lives, like what, what they're actually feasting on. Uh, here's, the, here's another thing, though. Your palate, what you eat needs to be discipled. How many of you, you know, like I got some buddies, and the only thing they're going to eat is like chicken tenders. You know what I'm saying? Still yet to this day. Anybody in here like that? He's like, you need to develop your palate. Like you need to get a taste for some vegetables, for some fruits, for some beef. Actually, the more you read, I'm going to tell you, beef's good for you, y'all. I don't care what anybody says. Grass-fed, homegrown beef. You need to get that in your life. Butter. I'm a big believer in butter. Like I, you got to find out the real stuff that is actually nutritious for you. Real food is good for you. Amen. In the same way he's saying, if you've tasted and seen the Lord, Lord is good, this word of God, this abiding word of God is good for you, but you've got to have your palate discipled and, and, and live a little bit differently because if you're just eating cheeseburgers and, and chicken nuggets, like it's going to affect your life, right? Just like the diet that I, that, that I used to eat. So, but here's the other thing. It can take you a while to go from sick to healthy because if I just up and come off McDonald's and eat one carrot, I'll be like, how come I don't feel no better? Well, you just ate one carrot, bro. You need to change your diet over the course of some time. Like, you need to get the Word in you more than just one day. Don't just say, I'm going to read the Bible in the year, and January 3rd, you're done. Well, no wonder you... I tried that before. No, you tried two days of Bible reading, my friend. And, and, and you, you write it out for a year and let the Word get into your soul and see what changes after that. Don't say, I tried that and it didn't work. One carrot on Tuesday ain't going to change your life. All right? So, so, so there's some things that you have to understand. And then once you get healthy, here's what I find out. Once you get healthy, you realize just how sick you were. You really do once you get healthy. Like, I remember, I remember, so I changed my diet at some point. After I got saved, really, I started praying, fasting some, changed my diet. Uh, I don't know why, I just did. Uh, and, and, so, and so I remember I sat with Randy Kraft one time at a meeting. The man got, brought me a Mountain Dew and a Butterfinger. And I drank the Mountain Dew and a Butterfinger. Hadn't had sugar in a long time. Threw that stuff up, son. My body rejected it. If I went right now and ate what I ate 
that big, I would throw it. My body would reject it. Why? Because my palate has shifted. My health has changed. Point being, you can get in the Word of God and develop your prayer life with God. And it so saturates your soul that your mind is renewed, that your spirit feels differently. And then all of a sudden, now, you cannot watch the same things you used to watch and listen to the same things you used to listen to because you get sick when you look at them. You just start to realize. I remember when I first got in the Bible, I was like, man, I'm sick. (laughs) Like, my relationships are messed up, my, my speech is messed up, my behavior is messed up. I'm sick. I started to eat a healthier diet spiritually, and something changed. There were some guys uh, that did a study. They called it the power of four effect, and they're called back to the Bible. They surveyed 400,000 people who read the Bible, and they looked at different aspects and dimensions of their life. And basically, here's what they said. If you read the Bible one time a week, there was li- li- little change. They read the Bible two times a week, there's very little change. Three times a week, a little bit more, but still insignificant change in their life. But there was a line that changed after four plus days a week. That when a person made reading Scripture a priority in their life, and they read it four or more times a week, there was a dramatic change in multiple areas of their life. One of the things that they said was that they were 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. Well, that's kind of obvious. They were 228% more likely to share their faith with others. They were 59% less likely to view pornography. And they were 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. See, there's benefits to reading God's words that that is mental, it's emotional, and it's also spiritual. It transforms your life. It's the only book that you read that you get to encounter a person when you read it. And here's the thing, when you have mental health issues and you've got depression, you've got anxiety, if you go to a therapist, as good as therapy can be at times, when it's grounded biblically and foundationally in Scripture, as good as it can be in that regard, I've never seen one therapist prescribe the Bible to anybody that I know of. Now, they prescribe drugs and, and, and these different things. And, and I'm, I'm not here to dissuade anybody from, from getting therapy and getting counseling. I think some of those things can be very positive in the right light. I do think sometimes therapy can push a person into victimhood where they stay and they no longer want to be healed. They want to stay right where they're at. I've seen that happen. Y'all ever see? It's like Jesus passed by the guy at the pool of Bethesda and said, Hey, do you really want to be made whole? Or would you rather just live in victimhood? Because Jesus has provided a way for us. I'm not saying we won't struggle. I'm not saying there won't be anxiety. I'm not saying there won't be depression and some bondages to sin. But I'm telling you right now that Jesus has provided a way for us to walk in some freedom. And I'm not, I'm not against medicine. I'm not against therapy. I'm not against help like that. But what I'm saying is, is as much medicine as you take in the other direction, why don't you try this medicine? Because I'm telling you, we've, un, we, we, we've not tapped into something that is available here through the Word of God. This book transformed my life. It absolutely, I, was, I was depressed. I was, I was fearful. I was anxious. I was addicted. And when I started reading this, I started having an encounter with the living God and the power of the Holy Spirit was opened up to me. And my mind was renewed and my life changed and I became drug free. See, I wasn't learning to cope with something else. I was building on a different foundation. This world, it's not healthy. Depression is up. Anxiety is up. Loneliness is up. Alcohol and drug abuse is up. Abuse is up. Joy is down. Among adolescents right now, tons of studies are coming out that before, among a lot of minor adolescents, suicide was never even an issue. 
Now you've got very young children constantly thinking about suicide. They're depressed, they're, ang they're anxious, they're in terrible shape. And the one major factor that they say has contributed to this ha has been, no doubt, the rise in social media in our culture. And kids addicted to their phones, constantly measuring themselves against one another, having access to all kinds of filthy content constantly, and saturating their minds and their brains in pornography and sending new, all this junk, right? And he's saying this is part of the reason that we're living in an epidemic of depression and anxiety and panic and fear and all of these things infecting our children because this is what's going on. So we have to get into the Word of God and get our children into the Word of God. And I'm going I'm to encourage you, get you a physical copy of a Bible. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And read that thing and let it become something that you love, that you crave that you desire to have, that you can't go, go somewhere without it. You want it around you just in case you need to look something up. Get, get in the habit of saying, no, I, I, I know where that's at on the page. There's a lot of scriptures I've memorized just because I know where it's at on the page. And so, so you fall in love with the scripture because it's transformative. Let me give you a few quick benefits of reading God's word. And there's hundreds, but I just wanted to list a few. Number one is prosperity and good success. Everybody can get behind that. Amen. Joshua 1.8. God says to Joshua, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He says, Joshua, I'm taking you into a promised land. And essentially, the metaphor for us is, he's saying, Hey, through Christ, I'm taking you into a promised land, and wherever your foot shall tread in this promised land, I've given it to you as an inheritance. He says, This is yours if you will simply walk into it by faith. Will you take it into your heart? Will you step into it by faith? Will you allow it to saturate your soul? Will you allow this to be what you live by? Because if you will, every place where your foot steps, I've given it to you as an inheritance. And he says, Joshua, as you go into this land, he says, this book of the law, it will not depart from your mouth. You're going to be talking about it regularly. And he says, you're going to meditate in it day and night, and then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Now, he's talking about meditating Day and night in this scripture. The, the Bible also says Psalm 1, right? Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of the water, which brings forth his fruit in every season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, it will prosper. He says, but the ungodly are not so. He says, what is the main thing that they do? They meditate in the Word of God day and night. They bring forth fruit in each season. See, they're meditating. Now, somebody said, well, I don't know about that meditation stuff. It's, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm going to tell you something. You meditate all the time. Lust is meditation on impure images. You realize that? That's what that is. Anger is meditation on your bitterness and how upset you are about this situation. That's meditation. Worry is meditation about what you're fearing might happen. That's meditation. You're constantly ruminating around it in your mind. In the scripture, the word for meditation in, in the Bible, in the, in the Hebrew language, is actually a word that, that connects and gives us a word picture of a legitimate cow chewing the cud. Y'all ever seen a cow chew the cud? I don't know. They sit and do that. 
See, their digestive process is different than ours. It'd be awesome if ours was like that, though. Can you imagine, like, some of you young kids being on a date, and you just ate lunch, and you go out on a date, and just regurgitate it up? Oh, sorry, honey, i got to eat a little bit of that. Swallow it back down. Y'all didn't get it, I guess. That's all right. So what they do, what a cow does, is they chew up their food that they eat. They get nutrients out of it. They, they swallow it. Later, in order to get more nutrients out of it, they bring it up. They regurgitate it, they chew it up finer, get more nutrients out of it, and swallow it again. And then they regurgitate it again, chew it up, swallow it again. In other words, instead of just hearing a sermon on Sunday, letting it go one ear and out the other, you get a hold of a word out of what God is speaking to you in the here and now. You take even a verse of Scripture and say, man, that spoke to me. And then you bring it back up on Monday, and you think about it, and you process it in your mind, and you speak it out of your mouth, and you memorize it, and then you digest the nutrients that you get from it for that day and then Tuesday and Wednesday you go back to it and you regurgitate it once again and you see it from a different aspect because now it applies to a different dimension of your life that you didn't see on Monday and you bring it up and you swallow it back down until it becomes cellular with your life and the word of God is hidden in your heart so that you might not sin against him that's what biblical meditation is. Think about that. Falling in love with God's Word, secondly, is encouragement and enlightenment. If you remember the two disciples that were with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus has died, He's been resurrected, but everybody's free. All of His disciples are freaked out because they're like, man, we thought He was the one. And Jesus comes alongside these two guys that says that they're depressed, they're downcast, they're confused, they're in despair. And Jesus begins to talk to them, and they said, man, we, we, we thought Jesus was the one. And it says he began to open up the scriptures about himself from Genesis into the Psalms and into the prophets. They finally, after a seven-mile walk of him opening the word to them, they don't even know it's Jesus. They sit down, break bread with them, and all of a sudden their eyes are opened, and they realize it's Jesus, and he disappears from their sight. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us? while he was expounding the scriptures to us. And in other words, what he's saying, all of a sudden they flip from despair to joy. And see, what it, Jesus is saying is, rather than Jesus wanting you to see him physically, he wants you to see him in his word. And if you get in his word, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to see Jesus and you're going to go from despair and depression into joy and peace because you're going to have a meeting with Jesus. Thirdly is long life and health. Proverbs 4, it says, Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. That's long life, y'all. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Some of them old dudes and Puritans, they used to write and say, I've, I'm in my best physical frame and I feel my body quickened and illness dissipate when I'm in the Word of God the most. That's what they actually say. They believed that God's Word was medicine. Fourthly is intimacy with Jesus and His freedom. John 8, 31. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in my Word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says, if you actually fall in love with my word so much that my word becomes your home, and you allow my word to abide in you, and it's that much of a dwelling place for you, he said, then you're truly 
my disciples. You can truly call yourself my follower. And what will happen is that continuing in my word will lead you to a place where you have an experiential knowledge of the truth. And that knowledge of the truth will make you completely free. He said, I'm going to bring you an encounter through continuing in the word with the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And that truth will set you free. Fifthly, sanctification and separation from darkness. John 17, verse 16 through 17. It says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God, when it comes into our life, it sanctifies us. The more you read the Word of God, the more you sense that you are, you're, you're separated from the depression of this world. You're separated from the fear and anxiety of this world. You're separated from the pressures of this life. You realize that you're in a different kingdom, protected by a different leader, and that you have a God who is over all things. It separates you from this darkness, and you have the ability to discern now from good and evil so that when all of these different crazy philosophies are going all over the world, you can distinguish, no, 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 we ain't going that direction. We're walking over here in the light because we have the Word of God that set us apart from this world. Amen. So those are the benefits of reading the Word of God, and here's the problem. You know, and this is why parents, mothers, you got to get into this because just like Daniel in his day, he was exiled into Babylon. Peter is saying, you live in the same world and you don't realize it. You are exiles in a Babylonian system. The educational system, the government, media, entertainment, they are intentionally trying to brainwash your children. Oh, he's a conspiracy theorist. No, I ain't either. I'm a Bible believer. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to brainwash your children. That's what happened with Daniel. He's exiled into Babylon, and they castrate him. He becomes a eunuch. He's just a teenager. They start to change his name to a false god so that he's no longer related to his, his god anymore. And they start to educate them uh, among the astrologers and the philosophers of their time in Babylon so, so as to worship other gods. And Daniel's in this position, and he refuses to compromise. But see, when you go into Babylon, there's three different kinds of people. There's three different kinds of people in our world. There's godly people who are giving it their best effort to worship God, to follow the way of Jesus, and to live a pure and holy life. Then there's ungodly people. They're going the way of the world and they're trying to drag godly people with them. And then there's the worst group of people and they are the ungodly believers. Somebody amen me this morning. No, we don't like that, Clay. These are the people who have the label of godly or Christian but live just like the world. And it's completely confusing for both sides because the ungodly people are thinking, well, they live just like us. We're okay. But the Christian people, it's bad for the Christian people because they look at the people in the middle and they say, well, if they live like that and they're Christians, we can live like that too. And it drags everybody into that place of deception. And he's saying, no, 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 you have to purpose it in your heart to live differently in this world. Daniel goes, and you remember, he's going to be presented before the king, and the king lays out all these delicacies for them to consume. And you remember, I love what it says, Daniel 1.8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. In other words, Daniel is saying, I don't care what this world gives me. I'm not going to defile myself with the king's delicacies. 
I've purposed it in my heart to eat a different diet. And they said, no, 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 Daniel, you don't understand. If we bring you to the king and you look pale and you look sick and you're not fattened up a little bit and, and, and you don't eat good, the king's going to be mad at me. He might take my head. Daniel says, put it to the test. He said, I'm going to eat what I'm going to eat. You leave the king's food over there and see if God doesn't bless me. They tested him, and he ended up coming out healthier, stronger, wiser, better than any of the other children in the land and wiser than all of the magicians and the astrologers. And ultimately, it led Daniel to the top of the list. He was second in command the majority of his life, and he never compromised or faltered one time. Matter of fact, he's praying three times a day, and they say, look, if you pray to any other god other than the king, king we're gonna throw you in the lion's den you know what daniel does he goes up opens his window prays to the god of heaven three times a day he don't care he's not compromising he's not living he's not eating the king's delicacies they said well all right we're gonna throw you in the lion's den he said that'll be fine with me they throw him in the lion's den an angel comes and shuts the lion's mouth a king comes and opens up and said oh daniel your god truly is the one true god because when you live for god in an ungodly world before long the ungodly will take notice and they'll say, man, we need to live like these guys are living. They've got something figured out. He held on to God's Word. He prayed three th times a day at the cost of his own life. Now, we're talking about diet a little bit. Y'all probably won't relate to this at all, but when I was in college, I, I hung out with a couple of meatheads. Y'all know what a meathead is? Uh, they was in the gym all the time working out, and, uh, and they try and get me. In the, in, in the summer, they, in, in the winter, they'd be like, man, it's bulking season, bro. We've got to bulk up. Let's get on protein, you know. And all this stuff. And they want to bulk up during that. And they want to do heavy weightlifting. And in the summer, you know, they, they knew they was going to go to the beach and get in their trunks. So they call it the summer shred. We got to shred, bro. We got to do high cardio, high reps. <laughs> Y'all ain't even laughing. You're just like, it's weird, Clay. <laughs> Point being, it's a summer shred. You change your, they would change their diet dramatically because they wanted to lose as much weight as possible to look good in a bathing suit. Amen. Now, here's the thing. I applied that through my meditation this week. Clay, you meditate on some weird things. I applied that to our spiritual life. And I thought, what would a spiritual summer shred look like? Because what happens is, and here's, here's what happens. I don't know if, don't know if this kind of lull comes on you in the summer. But in the summer, what I notice is it's like, you know what? We, it's summertime, and the living's easy. Isn't that a song? And, and, and like, and like we just, we just going to take our... We got, I got three vacations scheduled. Uh, you know, we're we going to go and swim. And we got summer ball. Like all, and we, don't, we ain't going to go to church that much. We ain't going to pray that much. We ain't going to read the Bible that much. Like, we're going to take a break through the summer. Now, all those things are good. Go to the lake. Have you a vacation, son. Uh, have, play summer ball. Do the whole nine. Those are good things. I'm just saying, with those things, do not relax on your spiritual progress. Continue to seek God and have a spiritual summer shred. And there were some things that the Lord listed to me that would be good to consider. Number one, is if they said reading the Bible four times a week, get the Bible in your life like you've never got it in your life before. You know, you can read through the New Testament in 90 days, reading three chapters a day. That's hardly nothing. You can do that in a matter of 10 to 15 minutes, most likely. And get with somebody that will hold you accountable so that you read through the New Testament in, through June, July, and into August. That's about what it would take through 90 days. And stay in the Word on a daily basis and see if over this summer your life is not changed by it. I don't know where you're at. Maybe some of y'all, you're reading the Bible more than that, but some of you most likely aren't reading it at all. And then I want you to do something else. Yesterday I tried something. I tried praying three times a day 
specifically. So I set an alarm on my phone for three different times. Now, I'm not saying you've got to pray for an hour. I'm saying when that alarm goes off, you tune your heart back to the Lord. You stop. My alarm went off last night, and me and Andre was changing Naomi's diaper. It went off. We stopped. We said a prayer together. You know what I'm saying? Just something to tune your heart back to the Lord. Choose one day a week where you say, you know what? I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm not going to watch TV tonight. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to skip a meal. Maybe I'll skip two meals. Maybe I'll skip three. I'm going to pray and fast and seek the Lord one day each week. Amen. Everybody got excited right there. And I saw it. It's like, praise God, Clay. I've been waiting for somebody to tell me to do this stuff. This is amazing. And some of you can take a break from certain music and from certain media and from social media. But consider that because it's a spiritual summer shred. Amen. How many of you would like to get through this summer and come back more spiritually on fire than you've ever been through the summer? We like to do it. We like to do it in January, but I'm saying, no, 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 let's do it through the summer while we're having our fun and taking our ease. Let's seek the Lord like we never have before. We're going to have things going on at the church during this time, but let's seek the Lord. I'm going to finish up here because if you do that, you're going to build your life on Jesus. And that's what 1 Peter 2, verse 4 says. He says, as you come to Him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. Now he's using the language of building, and he's saying Jesus is the cornerstone, and he's saying you guys are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Now, in those ancient days, when they built a building or a temple or whatever, they, they used big stones, like massive stones. I, I took a picture because if you remember in 70 A.D., Jesus said one stone, it's gonna, the temple's going to be torn down. He said, I'll raise it up again in three days. He was talking about himself, but he's also prophesying 70 A.D., Roman Empire coming in, destroying the temple. Well, if you go there today, they still have stones that are, that are left from the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. They're massive stones. And one of the cornerstones... In, in, in this building of the temple would have been the size of a small home. That's how big that is. And so, so, so the size of a small home, this cornerstone, and he, here's what he's saying, is when they built something, the cornerstone was the most important stone that there was. Because if the cornerstone wasn't shaped right, if it was weak, if it was brittle, if it, wasn't, if it was off kilter, then what you built was ultimately going to crumble. It wasn't going to stand if you built on the wrong cornerstone. The temple falling represented the fact that they rejected the cornerstone. And he's saying your system of worship was false and therefore it crumbled because you built on the wrong cornerstone. My point is, is that so many of us, we build on the wrong cornerstone. See, he's this cornerstone, what is your cornerstone? Because the world rejects Jesus' cornerstone. The world says, we don't want that. You know why? Because I don't want Jesus telling me what to do with my money. I don't want Jesus telling me what to do with my sexuality. I don't want Jesus telling me what to do with my time. And so really what I want is a religion where I can do this. Jesus, money is my cornerstone, so bless me with more money. Jesus, my family and my kids are my cornerstone, so bless and protect my family and my kids.
Jesus, my job and my career is my cornerstone, so would you bless my job and my career? That ain't how it works. If you build on another cornerstone other than Jesus, you're going to start to see things crumble. Fear and panic and all of this disillusion, and, 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 and it's going to come into your life, and you're going to wonder why it's crumbling. It's because you're asking Jesus to build something on the wrong cornerstone. And he said, no, 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 you don't build on that. He said, you put your job, you put your family, you put your money, you put your life on me the chief cornerstone how you build matters what is the center of your life see God says no he's he's chosen and he's precious this is why when young people are dating or or, or people get married it's difficult matter of fact I, I read a study just this week where it said that the greatest rates of divorce period were when two people in the same home practiced different religions what I, what I find sometimes is that people can come to the same church and still practice two different religions. One of them is a religion of self. Anybody, ah, y'all ain't going to amen me this morning. <laughs> but God's received him, and the question is, will you reject him or will you receive him? Is he your chief cornerstone? Are you building your life, your family, your mo- everything in your life, are you building it on Jesus as the chief cornerstone? Because we start with him. And that's where it goes. Everything else is going to crumble in this life. That's what he says. The grass, he said one day the heats are going to come, that grass is going to wither away. America is going to wither away. All these philosophies are going to wither away. Every empire has withered away. Every trend and every fad withers away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 2,000 years have come and gone, and we're still receiving nourishment from the same word of God that has been there forever. Amen. Amen. And he says, it's still going to endure. When everything else fades away and Jesus needs to be the center, he needs to be your cornerstone. He says, I'm, I'm laying in Zion a stone. Zion is the name for basically a perfect world. And he says, we're laying in Zion a cornerstone. And people, people are like, we want Zion, we just don't want Jesus. We want justice, we want social equity, we want healing, we want a good world leader, we want the economy to be fixed, we want all these things to happen, but we just want it on our terms and we don't want Jesus. And he says, no, you will never build a perfect world unless you build it on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And this is why we're waiting for Jesus to return to establish a government and a dominion of which there will be no end. See, one of the problems is, is that there was a study done by the Bible Society in 2022, now get this, this is after COVID, they're doing a study about churchgoers, people who read the Bible, and they found that roughly 26 million people had mostly or completely stopped reading the Bible in the last year. That's 26 million people who read the Bible, but all of a sudden now they're not. Now why is that, do you think? I think there's a lot of elements behind that that I don't have time to get into this morning. But the point being is, is what is your diet in this world? Because if you are not a Bible reader, now's the time the Lord is saying, I need you to get some healthy nutrition in your life. Because you're not going to be able to stand up against a sick world and you're not going to be able to have discernment in a dark world unless you're receiving the nourishment of God's Word on a daily basis. And it will transform who you are. So you can be healthy in a sick world. I'm going to close with these scriptures. 1 Peter 2 9 through 12. See, here's your identity, and you need to always remember it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. See, 
The thing about it is, is what God says is it's not about, He says it's not being about black or white or yellow or red or coming from this ethnicity or that ethnicity. He says when you become a Christian, you are a chosen race. That means that we're coming together from every tribe, language, ethnicity, everything, and we come together as one chosen race in this world to worship the one true God together. And then He says you are a royal priesthood. That means that you're not, there's not just one guy that gets to come into the presence of God anymore, but every single one of us have access into the presence of God to stand in the gap on behalf of the land. He says you're a holy nation. I don't know if you realize this or not, but America is not a holy nation. I don't know if you realize that. I love America and we'll shoot fireworks on July 4th, praise God, and we will pray for America and God bless the freedom that we do have in America. I love this nation, but it is not a holy nation. You are a holy nation. And see, Jesus says every nation is going to crumble and every nation is going to fall because they don't build on the chief cornerstone. But I'm going to return and receive a people that will establish a holy nation in which there is no unrighteousness. Man, this is who we are. He says, you're a people for His possession, that you may proclaim His excellencies. He says, God has chosen you in this world, and while the world is confused and discouraged and depressed and anxious and suicidal and everybody's worried sick about what's going to happen, He says, no, you know that you're more than a conqueror through Him who loved Him, and you're able to speak to people in that position and proclaim the excellencies of a God who still saves, who still delivers, who still brings peace, who still heals, who still transforms life he says you can proclaim these excellencies in a sick world he says you've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous not light you're not who you used to be you can put the shame away because you can bring the sin that once so ate your soul into the presence of a loving God who forgives you and cleanses you and brings you out of that darkness and into light he says once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you'd not received mercy but now you have received mercy and here he says beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He's saying there are passions of the flesh, there's anger, there's addictions, there's lust. These things are waging war against your soul. And I'm telling you, the best thing you can do is, by the power of the Spirit, abstain from those things that are waging war against your soul. And then he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, he's saying live such a life that when people speak evil of you, ultimately they see your conduct and your character and it reveals to them that God is real and He's in heaven and He will come again one day so that when they experience and encounter God for themselves, they will glorify Him for themselves because of the life that you lived. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a better diet in a sick world. Amen. Now, somebody, I, I got done, I asked Andrea, I said, was that a pretty good word? She said, that made me want to put my face in a Bible. I guess right here. So, what, so what, I want, what I want is that. I want you to get so hungry for the Word of God, for the presence of God, that you make a decision to say, you know what, this summer, Lord, I'm going to do a summer spiritual shred. I'm going to put some things away, and I'm going to make a decision to seek you like I never have before. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. I don't know where you all are at this morning. And I know some people don't come here regularly. And I definitely don't want to put any pressure on you, but here's the thing. We're available to pray for you for whatever you're going through. And wherever you are at with Jesus right now, I know that He wants you to know in this moment that He loves you, that He has a calling upon your life, 
And if you've not really surrendered to Jesus, this is an excellent time to do that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to do that in your heart. Do that in your heart and let somebody know. Let me know. Let, let somebody in your family know and say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. If, I've, if you've not been baptized, like I, I want to get baptized. I, I want to live a different life. I want to put Jesus as a chief cornerstone of my life. So Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that they sense the Holy Spirit saying that, I pray that they would respond in faith, whether by coming to the altar to pray or praying at their seat, or but, but by confessing it to somebody so that they know and taking the next steps with you, Jesus. I pray you do that in their hearts. And Lord, for the rest of us, God, would you, would you change our diet? And Lord, would you give us a hunger for the Word of God like we've never had before, so that by that Word, God, we'd begin to crave the pure spiritual milk that you give us, Lord, so that we can grow, that we can mature, and that this next season of our life is not a season of spiritual laziness, but it's a season of spiritual fire. Lord God, let that work begin in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to take some time just to respond to the Lord. This altar's open if you'd like to come forward in prayer. But that, that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Is, is, is sing and worship. Pray at your seat. Pray at this altar. If you need prayer, if you need healing in your body, if you, you're going through something internally that, you need, that you're struggling with and you need prayer, some of us would be glad to pray with you. But I just ask, take a moment to respond to the Lord however you see fit. Amen.